Our first scripture reading from the Old Testament this afternoon is from Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to read that whole chapter together. Isaiah chapter 61, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings, uh, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of, of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, then they, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations." Now, our next reading is from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 4, we'll read together verses 16 through 30. Luke 4, verses 16 through 30.
So he came to Nazareth, that's Jesus, so he came to Nazareth where he, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and, and, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the, heavens, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a, a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in, in, in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. So far, our reading from God's Word. Now, our reading from our confessions this afternoon is from Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12. You can look that up in your books of praise. It's on, it's on page 527. Lord's Day 12, where we are asked this question, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. He's also been ordained and anointed to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. And then he's also been ordained and anointed to be our eternal king, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? 
Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. So that I may as prophet confess his name. As priest present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And as king fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Now, beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. And when we start reciting the the gospel section of the Apostles' Creed, uh, the section dealing with the work of Jesus Christ, this is how we begin. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Sunday, we looked at that first word, that, that name, Jesus, And we saw it yesterday as well. He is called Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. And salvation is neither to be sought nor found in any other. So last week we looked at the name Jesus. Now today, this afternoon, we'll be looking at the title Christ. See, Jesus is the personal name of the incarnate Son of God. It's the name that Joseph gave him. But Christ is his title, a a title picked out for him since since before the world began. And when we combine those two, the name and the title, we get a summary of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ. And to understand just how significant this statement is, because we find it all over the New Testament, to understand just how significant this statement is, we should actually go back to the Old Testament. And take a look at what it means to be Christ. Now, the Greek word Christ, it's actually a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And that word Messiah, it means anointed. So, the word Christ means anointed. And and, and in this way, the title Messiah is actually applied to many different things, people and objects that were anointed. So in the first five books of the Bible, uh, when Moses is setting up the whole tabernacle system, Aaron gets anointed, he gets set aside, he gets set apart as as God's servant, making the people holy. But the tabernacle also gets anointed. And all the furnishings in the tabernacle also get anointed. They they, they have oil smeared on them or or sprinkled on them. So the high priest Aaron and, and, and and his sons, they were all anointed to serve God by representing the nation of Israel in God's presence. They were supposed to bring the sacrifices and and, and burn incense. They were supposed to teach the people and and act as their judges. And through them, through their work, God chose to, to make his people holy. So the priests, they were anointed, but the kings of Israel, they were anointed too. In the book of 1 Samuel, we have these examples of Saul and of David being anointed with oil by the prophet Samuel. He would would take a little bottle of oil and, and pour it on their heads, showing that God was calling them and God was equipping them to be his kings. In 1 Samuel, actually, when when Samuel goes to anoint David, it says that as soon as Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of God rushed upon David. So he was equipped from that moment on to be God's king. And then later on, we also have the example of the prophet Elijah anointing the prophet Elisha. So the prophets, they were supposed to be God's spokesmen, given the responsibility of of bringing God's words, God's words of judgment or guidance or blessing 
to his people. They were given direct authority from God to be his spokesman. And that's what their anointing pointed, uh, pointed at. But there was a problem. There was a problem, and, and it shows up all over the place in the Old Testament. The people that were anointed in the Old Testament, they never, they never perfectly do the jobs that God calls them to. Even though God had set them apart, even though God anointed them to be his servants, even though he equipped them for their tasks, they were still imperfect. And sometimes they were even willingly rebellious in the carrying out of their offices. There were all kinds of faithful priests, and we read about some of them in the, in the Old Testament, but, but in almost every example we have, the priests, they, they, they end up leading God's people in the wrong direction. Uh, we see this right from the get-go with Aaron. He's set aside as God's priest, but, but, but what does he do? Moses is up on the mountain, Aaron builds an idol, he builds a golden calf. He's supposed to be bringing the people to God, and instead he builds them an idol. And he tells God's people that this idol is God, and they should bow down and worship it. And we see that happen again and again and again throughout the history of Israel, even though there were many faithful priests, men who loved God, men who led the people to worship Him, even those men, they eventually died. And when they died, they left their office to whoever would follow them. And often their sons carried out that office in a very faithless way. They left their office to men who would eventually lead the people away from God. And we see this most clearly at the beginning of the New Testament, when the very last generation of priests, they're, they're so corrupted that when the last great high priest comes, instead of rejoicing in the fact that here at last, here, here was the perfect and permanent high priest, they ignore him when he's born, and they kill him when he grows up. And the same thing proves to be true of those who follow in the footsteps of the kings and the prophets. The elders, the elders of Israel, the men who ruled the people instead of the kings, and the scribes, the men who were supposed to teach the people like the prophets had. The elders and the scribes, they gang up together with the wicked priests to, to put the Christ, the anointed one, to death. All of these men had been ordained and, and, and anointed and set aside to serve as the people's representatives to God and as God's representatives to the people, but they left God's will behind and they chose their own way of doing, doing things. We saw that clearly this morning. But this was not a surprise for God. God did not base His plans for salvation on the faithfulness of sinful humans. No, God's plan had always been to provide an ultimate, final anointed one, to serve as the perfect mediator, to perfectly bring him to his people, to perfectly bring his people to him. And through this perfect anointed one, God was going to deliver his people. And God made promises about this anointed one all over the Old Testament, but, but one of the clearest texts is the one that we just read, Isaiah 61. And there Isaiah, he's, he's preparing a script, as it were. He's preparing a script for the Messiah to come. And he writes these incredible words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And we might ask here, is Isaiah talking about himself here or, or does he have somebody else in mind? 
And Jesus answers that question for us in Luke chapter 4. He, he directly applies this passage to himself, and, and he declares that he himself is God's last and God's ultimate anointed one. And in him, as we'll see, in him, we also share in that promised anointing, promised by Isaiah so many centuries ago. And so this afternoon, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be bringing God's word to you with this theme. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And first we're going to see how this is something that is true of Christ. And then we'll go on to see that because this is true of Christ, it's also something that we can say about ourselves. But first, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon Christ because the Lord has anointed him. And this point, in a way, this point's an easy one. Because Christ takes this messianic passage that talks about his anointing from the prophecy of Isaiah, and he tells the people that he's grown up with that today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All the promises in this passage are fulfilled in your hearing, he tells them. Jesus is absolutely sure about who he is. He is sure that he is God's Messiah. And this is a task that he was both, both ordained for and anointed for. So first, he was ordained. He was, he, he was, he was set apart. He was chosen as, as God's Messiah. He, he was set apart and chosen to be the mediator between God and God's people. And this is an office that he has actually had pretty much since the beginning of the world. He didn't take up this office when he became human, but, but he's had this office of mediator since, since before, well, since the beginning of the world. As long as there has been a need for somebody to stand between God and people, Christ has been carrying out that ministry. So, for example, in, in, in 1 Peter 1, verse 11, Peter, talking about Jesus, he, he speaks about the Son before His incarnation. He speaks about the Son who, who, who through His Spirit, is, is, is telling the, prophet, the prophets about the suffering and the glory that were going to be His. And so whenever we're reading the Old Testaments, whenever we see kings or priests or prophets, we should remember that, that they were not carrying out a ministry that they had picked for themselves. Rather, they, they were carrying out a ministry on behalf of Jesus Christ, on, on behalf of the Christ who was to come, acting as His representatives, acting on His behalf. So the office of Christ was one that the Son of God was set apart for, He was ordained for, even before He came as a human being. While He was still in heaven, He was ordained or set apart for this office. Some theologians refer to this as, as Christ's election. But when Jesus became a human, He was not only ordained or chosen, but He was also anointed. He had God's favor and God's power poured out on him, not just with the symbolic oil of the Old Testament like those priests and prophets and kings, but with what that symbolic oil pointed to. Jesus had God's favor and power poured out onto him by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we just finished singing uh, Psalm 45 a few minutes ago. And that, that psalm says, You love righteousness and you hate wickedness, it's talking about Christ here. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. And therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, beyond your companions. 
And we see this anointing most clearly at Jesus' baptism. The Father says of Jesus, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descends on Him like a dove. And so this demonstrated to both Jesus and to John and to all the people standing around that God was giving His Messiah the authority and the power to carry out His work, to carry out His ministry. And so having been publicly anointed, Jesus could confidently say in the presence of family and neighbors, the people He had grown up with, He could confidently say that He was standing before them as the Christ, as the promised Messiah, that He Himself was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He could stand up and he could say in the presence of all those familiar faces around him that he himself was ordained and anointed as Christ, the chief prophet and teacher, as Christ, the only high priest, as Christ, the eternal king of his people. So the first aspect of his ministry, his his messianic ministry that we're going to be considering this afternoon is his prophetic ministry. As Messiah, he is, the, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophetic office. And he's the cornerstone of the New Testament word ministry. The Catechism calls him our, our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Jesus is God's chief messenger to his people. Uh, Jesus says that in, in John chapter 12, where he says, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything that I have said. And I know that his command is eternal life. And so the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus himself, he perfectly reveals the Father's will. But, but this is not just something that he did back then while he was on earth. He's still doing that today. It's an ongoing ministry, and it doesn't just come in this form, but Jesus gives to all of his people the ability to read the scriptures with eyes that have been opened by the Spirit. See, the scriptures, they were written by men who were inspired by God's Holy Spirit. So the scriptures are a work of the Spirit, and if we don't have the Spirit, we can gain knowledge, like Herod did, and it may be helpful But we will not truly understand and submit ourselves to what is written if the Spirit does not open our eyes and open our hearts. Uh, Even in Luke 24, we we read that even the disciples, those who had enjoyed a three-year-long internship with Jesus, they didn't understand the Scriptures until He opened their minds to to understand the Scriptures. And and what He opens our eyes to see is the fact that, that again, quoting from Luke 24, that this is what is written, that this is what the whole Bible is about. The Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all the nations. And so as Messiah, Jesus is first of all our chief prophet and teacher. He fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our salvation. And what is that salvation? What is that redemption? Well, that's covered under the priestly aspect of Jesus' messianic ministry. He's not just our chief prophet and teacher. He's also, as the catechism goes on to say, he's also our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. 
Jesus was the fulfillment of, of the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. Remember, remember I said at the beginning of, this, uh, uh, of the sermon that the priests weren't the only ones anointed. The tabernacle was anointed as well. And all of the, all the instruments within the tabernacle, they were anointed as well. So Jesus was not just the fulfillment of the priestly office, but he was also the fulfillment of all the sacrifices and, and even the fulfillment of the temple itself. He calls himself the new temple. And fulfillment is a good word to use here because without the reality of Christ's atoning work lying behind all the rituals that God gave to his Old Testament people, those rituals would have been empty. As Isaac Watts put it in one of his hymns, not, not all the blood of beasts on Hebrew altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Without Christ fulfilling the sacrificial system, it was just a, a wholesale slaughter and burning of animal corpses. No sin would have been covered if Christ, if the reality of Christ was not laying, uh, lying behind th those, those, those sacrifices. No sin would have been covered. After all, human nature has sinned and human nature must pay for sin. And God will not punish another creature for what humanity has done. But after all those animals had been slaughtered for so many centuries, after countless Old Testament sacrifices had been made, Jesus came to give all those sacrifices meaning. He came to fulfill all those sacrifices and, and pr provide for us a final perfect sacrifice. But again, Jesus, Jesus was not just a priest back then. He was not just our priest when he was dying on the cross. He is still our priest. He is still our priestly mediator at the Father's right hand right now. Right now. He is standing there, continually interceding for us before the Father. And because of that, we, we need fear no condemnation, for Christ has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us now. As Paul says in Romans 8 verse 34, who can condemn us? Who can condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he's been raised, and he is also at the right hand of God right now interceding for us. And as if that wasn't good enough, this perfect prophet and this permanent priest is also ruling. He is our eternal king. Our king who governs us by his word and spirit. And who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Now you might be asking a question, if you're really sharp, you might be asking a question at this point. The second person of the Trinity, he's always been... And he always will be God. And yesterday, we, we covered this at, at length. Christ, uh, through Christ, the creation was made. And Christ also upholds and governs his creation. So hasn't he always been king? With respect to his divinity, hasn't he always been the king over all of creation? Well, yes. The second person of the Trinity has always been the creator king of all. But when the Son of Man, uh, when the Son of God took on a human nature, he took on a true human nature. He took on the nature of that which is not by nature sovereign over all of creation. So when he became a man, 
Jesus Christ was set apart for and he was anointed for a mediatorial kingship that is in some ways distinct from his sovereign kingship over all of creation. And Paul says it much better than I can in in, in Colossians chapter 1. First, Paul says, first, he is God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all of creation. For, For everything was created by him, by Christ, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So first, he is God, king over all of creation. But second, he is also the royal God-man mediator, the Messiah. He is also, not only is he the, 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 the divine king over all of creation, but he is also, Paul says, the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on heaven, uh, think things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So with respect to his divinity, yes, Jesus is king of the universe. He reigns forever with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one true and eternal God. But at the same time, After he had completed his work on earth, the man Christ Jesus was able to say to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And beloved, if he has all authority, we can have supreme confidence that he will keep us safe. He will protect us. He will guard us. And our eternal king, he will keep us in the deliverance that he has won for us. Beloved, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God's perfect, chosen, anointed one. Jesus is the mediator set apart by God from before the foundation of the world and anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill and to complete everything that was promised and signified by the Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings. As Christ, he is at the same time our chief prophet and teacher, our only high priest, and our eternal king. But what about us? How do we fit in as those who claim the name Christian for ourselves? Well, the catechism gets there next. Why are you called a Christian? Because I, sh- I, I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. And we can get to the heart of question and answer 32 fairly quickly if we examine two things that we confess to be true. First, Jesus Christ is our only high priest. Second, all believers are priests. Peter calls us in in 1 Peter a a holy priesthood. Uh, How can both of these things be the case at the same time? Well, to explain that, I'd like to take you back to the Old Testament back to the Old Testament priesthood, back to Aaron. I'd like you to picture with me Aaron the high priest, standing there by the tabernacle in in all the finery of his office, 
On his head, he's got this white turban with a gold plate in front of it that says, Holy to the Lord. And, and down at the bottom of his garment, he's got these golden tinkling bells. And, and his robe is decorated with, with pure white, with, with rich blue and deep crimson. And, and there on his chest, he's got this magnificent breastplate. And on this breastplate, he's got these 12 stones of different colors. And, and on these stones, he's got the names of the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed. So that every time he, every time the high priest goes into the tabernacle or temple to minister, those 12 tribes of Israel, all the people of God, they're coming with him into the sanctuary. But there's a second thing that I want you to picture. When Moses is commanded to anoint Aaron as the first high priest, he's commanded to dress Aaron in this magnificent garment, and then he's commanded to anoint him. And that anointing oil, we have it pictured for us in Psalm 133. It flows down his head, down his beard, down his garment. And those 12 stones that he brings into the sanctuary every time he's on duty, those 12 stones that represent the people of Israel, they are anointed along with him. By serving as priests, the the Aaronic priesthood, they led the whole nation of Israel to be a nation of of priests. And that's a picture of of what happens with us in Christ. Christ did not undergo suffering and, and enter into glory just for His benefit, but also for ours. When Christ died on the cross, He was dying our death. When He rose from the dead, He, he conquered our enemy. And when he sent his Holy Spirit, he, he, he showered the Holy Spirit on believers as a conquering king might shower his troops with the spoils of victory. In Isaiah 61, we actually have this pictured. The proclamation of the Messiah to come is followed by a promise of the showering of the Lord's blessing on all the Messiah's people. They'll be given a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. For all of those who are united to Christ by faith, all of His glories are ours. By faith we share in His anointing because we are united to Christ. Christ is our chief prophet and teacher, and and as those anointed with him, we also have a duty, a duty to confess his name, to to make known among the nations what he has done, to, to sing songs to him, to declare all of his wondrous works. We are prophets clothed in garments of praise given to us by our chief teacher. Christ is also our only high priest, and, and as those who share in his anointing, we too are made priests to God. And so we, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice of praise, made acceptable to God through the work of our only high priest, Jesus. And this was promised to Israel in Isaiah 61, verse 6, where it is said, not only to the tribe of Levi, but to all of those who are following the Messiah, you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. And finally, since we are members of Christ by faith, we also share in the kingly aspect of His anointing. Our consciences, 
Though they often accuse us, our consciences are set free by His victory on our behalf. And so we fight against sin. We, we put sin to death. And we fight against the devil. We, we trample him underfoot in this life. And we look forward to the dawning of an eternity of glory. We look forward to a time when those who are united with Christ reign with their eternal king over all of creation for all of eternity. Beloved, the anointed Lord Jesus Christ, exalted over all, he is building his church. Every single day he is uniting new people to himself. His kingdom never moves backward, it always moves forward. And he sends us out, he sends us out as members of his body as his ambassadors, anointed with his anointing, participating in his messianic mission. Beloved, he has sent us out with a true and a faithful message. And he has given us his spirit. He has equipped us to speak that message in all of our varying circumstances. And he has sent us out with a priestly calling, a priestly calling prepared for us from, the, from, from before the foundation of the world. We have been anointed with the Holy Spirit to carry out this calling to be God's holy people. And He has sent us out with a royal commission. He has given us His armor by His Spirit. He has equipped us with His armor to to boldly conquer sin and the devil. And He has promised us that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 